Bristol City podcast. How are you feeling and what are you up to? Good, David. Good, good. Good evening to you as well. Uh, yeah, no, glad to be here, mate. Glad to uh, be looking at and speaking to an old, uh, old foe, mate, of many years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking about many years ago, we're recording this on the evening of Wednesday, February the 2nd, but Tuesday, February the 2nd, 1982, is when eight men, Jeff Merritt, Jimmy Mann, Garland Rogers and Marshall, they all ripped their uh, they all ripped their contracts uh, up. Sorry, I made a mistake there. Tom wasn't one of those, was he? He was playing at the time. <laughs> um, how did you how did you feel that week? What we what are your recollections? Because you're only 18 at the time. What are your recollections of what was uh, going on behind the scenes at Ashton Gate? We knew we were in trouble. Basically, we knew we, knew we were in trouble. Basically, because obviously we were the young ones and whatever, and like we saw all those names you just mentioned and they'd sort of like been household names to me, sort of like growing up and going there as an apprentice um, and just, you know, I mean, working in the old apprenticeship days as you did in those those times where you were cleaning the the, the, the change rooms kit. So you saw these these well-established first-team men and, and that week basically leading up to it, it was, it was a case of, I mean, these guys have to sacrifice something, and it was it was a massive thing to ask them. And, and being young, you probably didn't know the, the actual severity of it, and the like, and the actual I don't know how sort of like important it was to to the club and to to survive. So to see sort of like these guys give up their contracts in sake of saving the club was was fantastic, and probably never knew it. Uh, as much as I do now uh, at that particular time, because probably in a selfish way, it saw me getting into the team sooner. I mean, probably not four days later, but uh, yeah. <laughs> sooner than what I expected. So listen, I mean, we knew we were in trouble. The club was in trouble. We were youngsters. We thought we could um, survive anything. And if it folded, we'd go to another club. But sometimes it doesn't work like that. We were very naive. And, and like I say, what they did, Probably, you know, I mean, every year, every time you get asked about these guys and every year on in my life, you know, I mean, you cannot thank them enough for what they did for the for the sacrifice they made for. I mean, me making my debut is a small thing, but the way Bristol City survived in the way it was sort of like the start of an upward curve and to to see the the club now, um, the stadium, what's going on around every time I go back there, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, no, it is. It's, uh, I say, it's a long time ago. And uh, as I say, you know, we, well, you know, I knew you back then. I saw that game against Fulham. And I think your fellow debutants, there was a, a number of youngsters playing, but you were there. And there might be one or two others, but I've got you, Russell Musker, Wayne Bray, and now sadly departed Johnny. John Economou. Johnny Economou. Um, you know, Fulham, I mean, it was only about a 10,000 crowd, but it was like a cup tie atmosphere there and you held them to a draw, didn't you? Yeah. So that was a good step. They were top of the league as well, weren't they? They were top of the league as well. So it was one of them <coughs> games where, you know, I mean, Raider, uh, we, we obviously we made our debuts. Like you say, 10,000 people there sounded like, you know, I mean, like a million people to me because the noise was fantastic. Never experienced it before. Um, and I think it was, it was great because we felt as if the result didn't matter. I think there was a sense of relief that yeah. the club had survived. And the fact is that we were putting 11 red shirts on the pitch on that afternoon uh, after such a, 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 a turmoil, a uh, few weeks and months and whatever. Like, I think it was just satisfaction. The result didn't matter. 
the club survived. The fans were happy, and it was a sort of like a carnival atmosphere. They yeah. they backed us as youngsters as well. In and like you say, to get a nil-nil draw, I think was a was a, a real bonus as well. But the result didn't matter. It was just the fact that everyone was happy that the club survived. Yeah, and at that time, it was a short period, admittedly, because Bob Houghton had gone as manager, and Roy Hodgson was uh, in charge for a short period, wasn't he? Before Jerry Sharp took over for a period as well. But uh, you know, what what did Hodgson say? Did you see a future England manager in him when he sent you out on the field on that particular day? Probably not, because like basically all we saw as a manager, you come you come and pick me, pick <laughs> from, but please pick me. So he did, and and one thing I say about Roy is sort of like he's just gone back into management again now with Watford. Uh, he loves the game. Um, he's very astute. He's very clever. He knows everything about sort of like in terms of tactics and if you're in 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 the ascendancy or if you have to defend. He knows everything about the game and the fact that he went on to to manage such great clubs as well as well as England was. Was, was, was fantastic. But the good thing about Roy is that I have seen him not too many times over the years, but every time I, every time I do, he knows exactly who I am. And we go up and have a short little chat about all those days ago and whatever, like, and about the, what he's achieved since. So, yeah, I mean, in a sort of like a way, it probably, I don't know whether it was, was it his first managerial position or, or had he been a manager before? I, I think know. he'd worked, I think he'd worked under uh, Bob yeah, Houghton. He'd so, always, uh, he'd always yeah. been uh, like an assistant, but I don't know whether he, actually taking a charge so it'd be interesting to find out if that I can't remember if that was actually his first job where he was in sole charge even be it for a small period of time yeah let's jump back a little bit before we talk about your career with City which all through the 80s there was always something going on every season in some shape or form but Wikipedia says you were born in Bradford on Avon now I thought until I checked that out, was it, it was Warminster and for some reason I thought it was Axminster but do you come from Bradford on Avon or, or where? Avon David, I was born in Bradford and Avon. Wikipedia's got it right. I was born in Bradford and Avon. There, and apparently there's no hospital left now in Bradford and Avon, Wiltshire. And I've, I lived in Warminster. I lived in Warminster until obviously I moved to Bristol when I left school at 16 years old. So I am from Warminster, but I was born in a hospital in Bradford on Avon. There we go. So we got that bit right. So how did you come to join Bristol City? I'm guessing Jock Ray featured somewhere along the line, but Warminster and that is John Attio territory as well. So yeah. how did that move to City come about? Well, it was nothing to do with John Attio. You know what I mean? Actually, John Attio was my maths teacher at my uh, comprehensive school and it was a fantastic, every time I loved maths lessons. You know what I mean? Not purely for the maths, but we talk football all the time. But when I was at school last, when I was 14, 15, I was actually, I was actually going down to Southampton, Swindon and Southampton. Southampton was the one I was going down to school holidays, not playing for them, not playing for them on weekends, but just going down to school holidays. Um, just for training sessions and whatever, like staying over, which I thought was fantastic. And then in sort of my last year at school, comprehensive school, I would have been 16, just just turned 16. Jock Ray came and said, listen, we want you to sign schoolboy forms. And, and turning schoolboy forms allowed me and enabled me to play at weekends with the, uh, with the like the under, under 16s, under 18s. And we always used to go down on the Saturday morning and we were playing at Coventry's, your Knox Counties, your West Broms and all that. And it was... It was fantastic for me. So the fact that John Ray, Jock Ray come in, sort of like come and sign schoolboy before Southampton offered me anything, even if I didn't even know whether they were. So listen, it was too good opportunity to turn down schoolboy forms uh, at a professional club, come and play against these teams on a Saturday morning. And that's what I did. And so like the rest is history, really. They do. Did John Attio, your math teacher, put in a good word and say the right club for you, Rob? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. In fact, John, 
John, um, it was, I think it was Wyndham Hay, a guy called Wyndham Hay, he used to play for Portsmouth. And we used to go down to Portsmouth because Portsmouth was my, was my, my uh, boyhood club, basically. And we used to go down. But obviously with Bristol City Connection, when I, when I was playing with Bristol City and I played on the Saturday and had a mass on the Monday, it was always conversations about that. But listen, he was a mentor all through all through my school career. You know I mean, he loved football. We always we always talked football. Um, he was he is still he was and he still is an iconic figure in in Bristol City's history. So to sort of like have a personal friendship with him, okay, on a on a school teacher, but it was literally in a math lesson. It was like eighty percent football, twenty percent math. <laughs> he realised that. So listen, he, he was he was a top guy. To take uh, like got took away from us too early, but the um, the advice he gave me over those five years in school, maths lessons, and outside, whatever, like, and, and funny enough, they, he never had nothing to do with any of the football teams at the school. He never did. You think, like, someone like John Atto come in, come and take a, a team and, and, and just look over them and whatever, like, but he never did. He never came to watch us, never came to watch the school team, so wherever he'd had enough and whatever, but he was always available to talk about a certain experience that he'd had and, you know, I mean, advice from me, what to do when to do it basically so i'll always again another one i'll always be grateful for yeah. for those advice in those early years on how to deal with situations i suppose so it was a yeah. I, I benefited strongly from that oh well not many people know that so that's really interesting rob let's jump back then into uh, the playing action i mean bob uh, um, roy hodgson was in charge for a short period jerry sharp took over and uh, he was in charge for the last six games yeah although you were still on the downward spiral again i didn't realize this until i checked it out jerry in his period he only lost one of the last six games but you feel still finished uh, 23rd six points adrift i guess it was inevitable but then in the summer terry cooper took over again sadly departed but uh what 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 were his instructions at the start of 82-83 season? Because the club hit its absolute lowest level halfway through that season, didn't it? Was it just yeah. go out and do the best you can? What did Terry yeah, say? Absolutely. And again, I think going back to the first game, I mean, I mean the, the, the mentality in that first season, listen, we're, we're all a group. I think it was a group of about 14 or 15 of us. That was the squad because that's all, that's all Terry could assemble and whatever like him. So listen, we're just happy to be here. We're happy to to put a team out on the pitch and we're like, we're going to give it our all. Um, Terry was a, like, he just finished a fantastic career as well. So again, we had another iconic figure in the football world that he actually played in the same team with us. You know what I mean? He was playing in the team, he was playing left midfield, didn't run around too much, but boy, what a player he was on the board, his decision-making and whatever. So we had a, we had a, like a, a mentor that probably young players Never had in those days. I mean, he, so like the experience he is he had, and and the and the quality he had as well. So, and I, and I think again the fans were sort of like well aware of the club situation. They weren't expecting anything great. You know, what I mean, happy to go and support a team that they love week in week out, whether it be Ashton Gate or away. And and that's all it was. And we had some we had some good times then as well. There was no there was no real pressure on us. There was no expectations on us. And and as a footballer, especially when you're younger. If you've got no expectations, it sort of like takes a lot of the pressure away. Obviously, you've still got to uh, to go and, and and perform as best as you can, and we did. But at times, we weren't we weren't good enough to beat the teams. But what we did have was was a fantastic team spirit, a, fan, a fantastic work ethic, and you've got a manager that was playing in a World Cup final not so many years ago in the same team as you. So 
it can be bad. So to have no. <laughs> your, to have the actual advice when you're playing and when you're getting when you're on the pitch and you're either getting a telling off or a praise from Terry Cooper, the instant it happens, sort of like again help me help me to develop as a as a player. Yeah. And that first season, your first complete season, forty two appearances, yeah, four yeah. goals. You scored your first goal away at Walsall when they were moving. They were towards the top. It was a one-nil win. Yep. Do you remember your first goal? Vaguely, vaguely. I'm pretty sure it was outside the box, Dave. You know, I, mean? <laughs> I think it was like I, mean, I like to say I curled it around the wall, but I don't think it was. I think it was just a shot. I think from outside the box. But you I mean like I say to to get that first goal as well? It, it's not clear in my mind, but vaguely, it, vaguely it is. So. Um, like I say again, Warsaw was good because I think there was a good good follower as well. Warsaw was just up the M5, so it was a good yeah. good uh, good fan attendance as well from the from the city supporters as well. So I mean, like I say, to score four goals, to play forty two games as well, I think that was a that was my my most like the best achievement that I could do. You I mean like I say, people probably say I played because I never tackled. I wasn't quick enough to pull an hamstring, and I, and I, and I never tackled anything. But I must I must have been doing something right. Oh, you I'm certainly always, did. You certainly I, did. I, I always said I think it was always a, a case of, in that, especially in that first season, and again, another thing that helped me immensely in my career, it was sort of like, I always said I was like a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, but I was like, I was the versatile player in the side, and when you've only got a squad of 14, you get to play every week because someone's injured and you get to fill in. You played a whole variety of positions. I remember back then in those days. Now, the big march back, if we call it that, started... 83, 84. I think that summer Terry went out and signed people like Glyn Riley, Alan Crawford. Um, I don't think they had names on the back of shirts back then, but one of them, and you'd have played alongside him, uh, Forbes, Phillips and Masters. That was a bit of a mouthful to get on there. He was a bit of a character as well, wasn't he, Forbes? Mate, Forbes, Phillips and Masters, you think he's, there's royalty in there, isn't there? You think there's royalty in He was a painter and decorator by trade. Uh, and at times he, pay, he played like a painter and decorator. Hey, like what, what, what a man to have in your team. You know I mean, the nicest fella off the pitch, but getting him on a pitch, he seemed to change his attitude yeah. and his like. He, he was he was the old-fashioned stopper, the, the first stopper yeah. I've actually played with in the, in a team. Think like he ain't going to get past Forbes. He's going to stop him not by pace, not by anything, but just by getting in his way. So, like I say, it was a uh, with Glenn coming in, Croft coming in. I think that was a sort of like stage where you sort of like started thinking, well, okay, we've. We've sort of like rode the rode the bad times. Let's try and yeah. get some players in that have played at a higher level, maybe yeah. coming to the end of their career. I mean, late twenties and whatever like, but they would give us the experience and the nows that probably we were missing in those early days. And yeah. I think that was the first time where the club and the fans could say, right, okay, Terry knows what he's doing. He's doing it in pigeon steps. He ain't going to put the, the the club back into a situation where it found itself a few years back. So get these people, they were good people, good characters. I mean, and again, the, the team spirit never waned. I mean, no one, I, I think for all my career at Bristol, not one person sort of like would come in and said, oh, he's a bad egg or a bad... I mean, that was the beauty of the of all the managers, especially Terry. Terry knew how important um, characters, good characters was because we didn't have a big squad. And if you got one that was a like a bad character, a bad virus around the place, it would have been devastating. So... The, the 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 recruitment then like for Terry and, and Clive and all that was fantastic. Clive, yeah, of course, mustn't forget yeah. Clive Middlemiss amidst yeah. all of this. Now, the first, I guess, the first high point other than your debut came at the end of that eighty three eighty four season, a two one win away at Chester. You yeah. played in that game. I mean, everybody, when you think where the club were, well, barely sixteen months previously, bottom 
of uh, the league and obviously the year prior to that almost going out of existence yeah. that must have been yeah. one of the many high points of your career that 2-1 win which secured promotion back to what is now league one yeah yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we'd achieved something. And like you said, like not so long ago, I mean, we nearly never had a club. So to give, I think that was one, that was one where you sort of like, it was for the fans. You know what I mean, they deserve that. They, I mean, they had, a, they had a great season that year following us. We won lots of games and whatever like, but I mean, it was a pity it wasn't home, but we went to Chester and, and we won the game and, and, and I think we won it in, in good fashion and there was a real great following on there. And it, like you say, the, the the, the euphoria was there, but you sort of like knew, listen, this is just the start of things. Don't get carried away. Don't think you've made it and whatever. Like this is just the, the beginning of, of the of the new BCFC nineteen eighty two. Like yeah. you say, so it was it, it was and and that's what Terry did. I mean he always kept us sort of like uh, our, our feet planted on the ground, never let us get carried away. Yeah, we'd have a few beers on the bus, as you know well, as you well know, Dave. You know yeah. Right? <laughs> so he didn't mind that, but we did it in the right time. We did it yeah. in the right place, and whatever. Like we had some good trips home. That, good. Game, that game at Chester, that game at Chester is still, still, still strong in my mind and whatever. Like yeah. and, uh, Trevor Morgan was one of the goal scorers that day, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a big lad up. Trevor was a Trevor was a great player. I mean, like you look at Trevor now. Could Trevor go and play in any of the leagues now? He could because he was an intelligent footballer. He probably wouldn't look. He'd, he'd look out of sorts and whatever because he didn't look the fittest at times. But boy, what centre forward he was! He knew to put it in the right areas. He'd score goals and whatever like him. And again, one of the one of the funniest characters, greatest person, sort of like that I, I played in the in the team with. So it was a it was a real privilege to play with him. And, and again, another player that had sort of like taught me stuff and whatever like. And you, when you're on these players, they don't have to tell you anything. They just you just see things, what they do, and the way they act off the pitch. Yeah. They were all good people off the pitch. We we'd help each other as well, and I think that that set us all up in 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 terms of our, our characters on and off the pitch. Yeah, no, it was good. Well, your first season back in, as I say, what is now League One, you only finished. You almost made it into the playoffs that season, just six points off it. Glyn Riley uh, scored in all competitions twenty plus goals. By this time. Alan Walsh had come on board. Yeah, twenty plus goals from him. So you had two strikers with twenty plus goals each. Um, Walshy, uh, you know, he too made his presence felt around Ashton Gate, not least with his uh, lethal left foot and uh, more subtly the Walshy shuffle. We couldn't believe it. How many times he did it? It's ridiculous. He, he, everyone knew what he was going to do, but then the opponents. Like, I mean, obviously we we faced it in training, but yeah, you know I mean, he was on our side in the games and like, and you could not believe. You know what he's going to do? It was just like a drop of the shoulder, like his right leg went over the ball, and he'd shift on his left. And every single every single defender he played against just did not like. I don't know. They they they, they either didn't watch him or didn't think he was going to do something different. He never did anything different. He didn't have to do anything different. But like I say, I think Walshy. I came down not so long ago, and I was with Walshy at the table, and, and he was telling the story about. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is this is the beauty of, of Terry Cooper and Clyde Midamas. They actually drove up in a, in a van to his house in Darlington, where he lived and whatever, like, and actually moved him down. How things have changed, basically, because they wanted him so much. Basically, I think he paid about eighteen thousand pounds for Walsh. And yeah. I, said, I said this to the to the fans, in, like in in one of the Q and A's, like when I was down there uh, before Christmas. What would Alan Walsh be worth now in today's day? It, it's incredible to, to the fact we got him for eighteen thousand. 
that boy would have been worth millions and millions now. Absolutely. That's and it. he's still and he's still got the physique that he still looks like he could play now, really, doesn't he? Yeah. That's, that's Jeff Merrick, to be fair, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not, not an yeah. ounce of fat on him. So, uh, well, that was a good season back in League One. 85-86, league form tumbled a little bit, but another memorable uh, season. And before we talk about the end of that season, which is where all the memories are, some players that have come into the side by then, Keith Woth, in yeah. goal, what are your memories of uh, of, of Keith? Because he was one of a couple of goalkeepers that were the mainstay of your time. We just went from, like, I think, did we get from Luton? I think we got him from Luton, didn't we? Something it, like that. Or Keith? Sheffield. Yeah. Huh? Sheffield, it might have been Sheffield. I think it was Sheffield United, Keith yeah. Roth, I think. No, yeah. corrected. Yeah. Again, we were, get, we were getting a sort of like a goalkeeper from a higher league. You know what I mean? Wofford, you look at Wofford, Wofford wasn't great. You know what I mean? He didn't look a big side. He didn't have a pres- massive presence, but yeah. he was good with his feet. He was good with his hands. He was, he was a presence in the box. He was a good talker. He was experienced, and like you say, in, we were still relatively young, and to have an experienced goalkeeper who, who could talk from us from the back and and lead us from the back was was really important as well. And it was just again with the, with, the, with Terry and Clive, they knew they knew which ones to get, they knew which ones to go. We we didn't have to get like wholesale changes, but we knew when they knew it was time to get one position, they went and got the right one. And and, and I must say, they did it fantastically. Yeah, or well, another player that was a character. And uh, I think he was skipper for part of the time, if not all of it. Bobby Hutch, Bobby Hutchison. What are your memories of Bob? I, I was in Diggs with Hutch. I was in Diggs with Hutch in, um, where was it? I think it was up near uh, Parkland. No, up there. We, we were in Diggs together. Uh, funniest man ever. Liked to drink. Didn't mind anyone else who liked to drink. But boy, what an energy he had on him. You know what I mean? He wasn't the biggest, but <laughs> he was the best header of the ball I think I've ever played with in terms of height. And, and and distance he could get off the floor. It was incredible. It was incredible. But listen, he was he was the joker of the team. He came in, he's got a humour. I mean, he, he, what a leader. He led us. He led us sort of like on the pitch and he led us off the pitch as well. You know what I mean? It was one of the ones we had. He sort of like he was a, he was infectious, if you know what I mean. Yeah. We had to work, go with, work because, hard, play harder. Type oh yeah, no, absolutely. And and sadly, sort of like you can do that when you're young, and and we we probably got away. But as time went by, he started to get a few injuries, and when you get injuries, basically you don't you don't recover quickly. The older you get, but hey, listen, again, Hachi was a fantastic player, and 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 sort of like a great character on and off yeah. the pitch as well. And like you say, he led us. Through that period, he was at the club, and, and you know, I mean, again, like fond memories of, of, of Hutchie. Keith, Keith Curl came in by yeah. then. I mean, he was signed, and uh, he wasn't a natural defender, but we always well, say, understand that he, what he made up, what he lacked in positional sense, he made up for with uh, with pace, didn't he? I remember him going from the halfway line against Newport once at home and scoring a goal. But uh, Keith Curl was a character as well in his own way, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Makes you sick, doesn't it? Makes you sick. One thing I was missing was pace, and he had it in abundance. But Curly came in as a winger. Coops brought him as, like, again, you know what I mean, praising Coops and Clive. They saw something in him, and, and so, like, that was the that was the time. Curly, Curly got recognised. I wouldn't say Curly was the best footballer, but what Curly could do was probably what I couldn't do, was if I made a mistake, I, I, was, I was gone. I couldn't catch him up. If Curly made a mistake, he'd catch him up, get the ball and pass it back to the goalkeeper, who in them days could pick it up. And he looked a million dollars and he went on to play for England. So I'm thinking if I had a pace, I'd like to think I would have got somewhere close to a national caller, but pace at the time was, and he had it, he had it to burn. And like you say, the, the credit to, uh, credit to, to, to Terry and, and Clyde, the fact is they recognise the fact, listen, send the uh, right winger, what he was, you go and play centre half. And again, you will make us stronger. And, and he certainly did that. 
Yeah. Now, back in the day, and you'll remember this, that people like me and Phil Tottle, Colin Price, as was, and Peter Godsiff, and then more recently Richard Latham, we all used to travel with a team. My first trip travelling away with a team was an away game at Notts County that we got gubbed 4-0. I went back on the coach, didn't know where the bar was, surprisingly. Went back on the coach. Who was sat at the back of the coach making his debut? He's your boss, in inverted commas now. David Moyes. Uh, it was his yeah. first game, a 4-0 defeat away at Notts County. Um, you know, we, we, we chewed over the game, but uh, he was, he, he, well, it's a lifelong friendship you formed with him, I guess. Otherwise, yeah, you no, absolutely. And like you say, now, now I'm working alongside him again or whatever. He's changed a bit. He has changed a bit, his attitude. You know? he, was, he was funnier then. He wasn't really funny, but he, he was funnier then than what he is now. Um, but yeah, no, listen, he came in. I didn't realise that that was his debut. I will say that to him next time I see him in a, in a couple of days. So, uh, <laughs> But hey, listen, Moisey lacked lacked the greatest skill, lacked anything really good. But what he was, he was a great team player. You know I mean, he'd give you his all on the pitch and whatever. And he'd come from Celtic. You know what I mean? Like I say, you, you yeah. don't play as a youngster for Celtic and whatever. Okay, you're on your way down. But you don't do that if you've got no no ability. And uh, Moisey came in and, and, and again, obviously, with Hutchie in the team, you had two crazy Scotsmen there. So... Uh, yeah, no, fond memories of Moisey and like I said, being a centre-half as well. Good days, I was playing good a days. He was a, def- he was a fellow defender, so yeah, no, top, top man. Well, everything came together at the end of that season, although it almost didn't because the semi-final, uh, a two-leg against Hereford, 2-0 down away from home, had to get 3-0 at Ashton Gate and we managed it. I mean, again, that was another one of those nights that lived long in the memory. I can shut my eyes and picture Stevie Neville scoring what proved to be the winner as he threaded it along it was like through the eye of a needle wasn't it I mean that that was almost as exciting as the final a few weeks later wasn't it that 3-0 yeah. win against Hereford yeah no playing in the final playing in the final like was, was fantastic but playing in that game because we were 2-0 down you know what I mean to win that game 3-0 was was unbelievable and that's the one that's probably the the, the, the standout game from, from my Bristol career really because that again like the Chester game so the Chester game was over over a full season. This was giving the fans a real reward of going to Wembley. Not so long yeah. after that was that was the pinnacle of sort of like of my of my secret like up, up to that date in Wembley. Like, and it was it was like you say when they scored that third goal. I remember the fans coming on the pitch side of the of the of the dugouts and whatever. We just could not sort of like um, contain our our excitement and, and enjoy. And, and I remember in the uh, in the dressing room after. Coops was having a like a he was he's being interviewed in the in the changing room. Everyone's having to sort of like wipe the cameras because it was all steamy. We had champagne, we were like in like the the communal bath like it was then as well. Champagne in the bath, and it was just a fantastic night. And I think we parted long into the night as well somewhere in Bristol. So I won't say the place, but we did. We did. Uh, somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> and then the final itself again. You know, I had the privilege of travelling with all you guys up to Wembley on the Friday, stepping out. On the pitch, I remember the training yeah. at Ashton uh, at Hyde Park in the morning. I think David Harl was carrying a bit of an injury, and yeah. I remember Terry Cooper saying to him, "Are you sure you're fit, David?" And he said, "Yes, boss." And you just get a look in somebody's eye, and you think, "Is he really? He doesn't really want to miss out on that." But in reality, it was a bit of a doddle beating Bolton three 0 wasn't it? I mean, the scoreline says it all. Well, not for me for the first twenty minutes. I was playing against a certain Mark Gavin, who, who later became a. <laughs> I got booked after 20 minutes and, and I can always remember it was like 20, it was 20 and it was red hot as well. If I can remember, it was a really hot day. 
And for 20 minutes, he saw like give me a roast and I, and I got booked for 20 minutes. And then it sort of like started to settle down and whatever like, but I, w- I was breathing, I was breathing. And it was, it was, it was a tough old, uh, it was a tough old opening 20 minutes of, of that game. But listen, like, yeah, three new at the end, it seemed a, a capable really. And I think in the second half, it, be- it became that we became dominant. Oh, oh, uh, Bolton couldn't get into the game, couldn't get a foothold into the game, no. and we totally dominated. But again, we had match winners. We had match with Craig and, and, and Stephen Neville, Glenn Walsh, and everything. Hutchie in midfield. It's fantastic. It was it was a, it was a great occasion. And, and one thing I always say when people ask me about it, it was the old Wembley when you came out at the end of the pitch. Basically, I can remember looking up. Yeah, I mean there was no electronic scoreboards there. I could just That's see right. many Bristol- white coats with yeah, pink many cards, white- wasn't it? It was Bristol City going to beat Bolton, basically nil-nil, and, and two white, two men in white coats standing on this on this gantry. And and I can always remember we 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 walked we were walking out of the tunnel, and obviously the Bolton ends were down the the, the far end. And far they, end. They, they yeah. could see us coming out, so they started to cheer, and you could hear them, whatever. But as soon as you got out of the, out of the tunnel, and all our fans could actually see us coming out of the tunnel. It completely deafened them out of the pitch, and, and there was like thirty-five thousand there, and what? Like, and the noise they made—I mean, that was real stuff. That made the hairs come up on the back of your neck. It was a fantastic feeling. And again, it was sort of like it was a "There you go, boys. You enjoy this one because what you've been for over the last five, six, seven years. This one's for you. You enjoy it, and and even better, us going and winning it." Yeah, no, it was. Now the following season, again. You got back to Wembley. That ended a little bit in uh, disappointment. I'll come on to that in a moment. Um, you featuring again, 43 starts, Keith Woff ever present on 46. But just past the halfway stage in the season, Terry went out and signed Joe Jordan. Now, you talked about playing with Terry and his reputation, but Joe Jordan, he ends up at Bristol City. He's played abroad, played for Man United and Leeds, three World Cups. What presence did he bring to the dressing room when he came in. I think it was round about February 87. We all got on our hands and knees and I said, we're not worthy playing in this team with this guy. You know I mean? <laughs> but again, Terry's astute uh, knowledge of a player. He recognised that Joe still had something to offer, even, even at his age. And boy, he, did he have something to offer. But like I say, Joe was one, he, he was quiet in and around the dressing room. He was because he'd been in the Italian, sort of like the way they did things probably earlier than what we did things in this country. He, he, he ate right, he drank right, and everything was 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 all about preparation for the game. And, and again, it was it was something that taught us as players, if you want to be successful and you want to play at the top level, what, what which he did, you have to be dedicated, probably more dedicated than we've ever been in the previous five years, because the mentality of footballers then was... Uh, sort of like different than what it, what it was in Italy when he played there. So he was probably the first person as a player and as a manager, later as a manager, that actually taught us as players and me personally, you have to live right off the field in order to to give more on the field. So by playing in the same, like you, you've, you've just reeled off what he'd actually achieved. Again, I mean, Bristol City, don't you mean where we were? We've just got like a, a World Cup player playing in our team now and, and what a player. And... By the way, when he took, he was he was a nicest, quite quite softest person off the pitch. As soon as he took his teeth out, whether it was for training or for games, his character changed. Yeah. Now that season, you missed the playoffs by one point. I remember the last game of the season. It was against Swindon. It was a one-one draw, and Terry had taken off Brian Williams. Didn't who was the regular penalty taker? Didn't know that we were going to get a pen, and then sadly. Gordon Owen missed it. I mean, that's, you know, we could have gone up that season, couldn't we? Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we were on a roll. 
Yeah, no, God, God, Gordon Owen sort of like missed that penalty, and, and like I say, it was, it was sad. And like I say, but it's just one of them things. Brian had gone off, and uh, and Gordon was the the designated penalty taker, and and he he was pretty good at them as well. To be fair, so, listen, I've missed a penalty. He missed the penalty that day, but the magnitude of that penalty that day was probably more than the ones I missed. So, listen, as as teammates and it whatever, happens. it wasn't. It, it happens, mate. Yeah, and then at Wembley again, that penalty heart. I always wondered at Wembley why Joe never took a penalty in that penalty yeah. shootout. But maybe that's for him to tell somebody one day, and me not to ask oh, you. Okay. That's probably not fair. <laughs> eighty-seven, eighty-eight, though. Again, the momentum was uh, was building. Uh, we got to the playoffs. Forty-four appearances for you. I think this was your best season for goals, with eleven goals in all competitions. We sneaked into the playoffs. And it was that trilogy of games against uh, Walsall, 3-1 at home defeat. I think it was it David Kelly got a couple. He must have been a bit of a handful to play yeah. against because he always seemed to do well against us, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was he was one in there uh, and Steve Ball was the other one against me, to be fair. But, but David <laughs> Kelly Walsall was um was tough and lose three one at home. And then we won two new at their place, didn't we? We won two new at their place. Obviously. That's right. And then there was a flip of the coin, wasn't it? And I think no, I think it was a penalty shootout to decide the uh, yeah to decide the uh, third game. Which you uh, sure? Are you sure? Uh, I I don't know. You're probably right. You were on the pitch. I wasn't. Yeah. So I, no, listen. I, I wait. Let's work that one out. And, and, if, and if you're right, I apologise. And if I was right, you. All right, we'll send each other a text after it. All right, <laughs> and I'll uh, I'll buy you a pint whatever, next time you're down at Ashton Gate. We'll owe you that anyway. <laughs> whichever it was, we lost. I know, uh, and then we were doing. We were meant to be doing because uh, it was then played on the bank holiday Monday because there was none of this ten days to get the police sorted out. And we were meant to be doing second half linking commentary, and we were three 0 down after fifteen minutes. So the game was over, which was yes. again a disappointment. Yes, but uh, badly. <laughs> then the following season, the following season again memorable. There was always something going on in these mid eighties uh, seasons, memorable, but. February 89 saw the departure of Terry and I think it was after an away game at South End and we lost it on a Friday night, I think, 2-1 and everybody was a little bit downhearted and you could tell Terry was feeling it a bit and then he'd gone. Joe was an obvious replacement, wasn't he? Yes? Yeah, most definitely. Joe, yeah, I mean, the, the professionalism he, he showed in the training in the in the, 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 the techniques that he did his training and, and he put some sessions on as well. As a player and whatever like, so it, it was it was an automatic choice, and, and and everyone was everyone in the team was. I mean, obviously very sad, like for, for Terry to leave and whatever like, because it was an end of an era and end of a, a yeah. manager who had done so much um, for so little, for, like for, for for little game really in terms of financial. It was just it was it was just a fantastic manager. But Joe Joe came in, he brought different ideas, he brought professional ideas, he brought ideas that he'd had in Italy. Yeah, you know I mean the. Uh, the, the, the dietary came into the system. Uh, like we weren't allowed to. I mean, pies went off the off the menu in the, in the lunch times and whatever. So listen, this was the first time that I was part of a of a team and a management team uh, where they really looked heavily on how you lived your life off the off the. Off yeah. the you became athletes, not just footballers, sort of thing. Yes, yeah, in that way. Say that, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, but that season memorable for the, uh, I think it was back in those days, called the Littlewoods Cup. Uh, yep. Forest in the semi-final. Uh, I was up at the city ground. I think was it Paul Marden that uh, Paul Marden, yep. gave us a goal, and then yep. John Pender. Unluckily, the ball bounced off his shins for an own goal, yep. made it one-one up there. Is that right? If I recall that, correctly. yeah, one-one, one-one. Just quickly talking about Joe, the most fearsome centre-forward performance I've ever been involved in in a side that I've been involved in was a, was the game before that Bradford away. You know one-nil. I mean? One nil, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And, and they play. I can remember we played one up front. Joe was our one up front. They had three central defenders, and every one of those central defenders had blood on their shirts. Basically, you have never seen. <laughs> it was a colossus performance by Joe, and that was. I mean, you asked anyone that, but me, I can just remember like he just absolutely terrorised the three because they were in the division above us as well. So it was fantastic. But obviously, going on to to Notts Forest. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, David and Goliath, wasn't it, really? So uh, yeah. we went in and nothing to lose. But to come away with a 1-1, it kept it it kept it kept sort of like alive. It kept the tie alive. They had some great players. I'm working with one now. He keeps reminding me of it, Stuart Pierce. So uh, he, he yeah. was playing in that as well. But they had they had world-class players. They had international they players did. all across they their did. team. So it, it, was, it was a great achievement. Another like a level that we've reached as, as a club and as a team. Um, and to get them back to Ashton Gate, you know what I mean, for the replay was fantastic. And again, another game that I can remember vividly. It was a horrible night. It was raining. The pitch was 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 muddy and everything like that. And Walshie hit the post. Oh, I was going to say, he got 16 goals that season. Yeah. You know, that would have been vitally important because yeah. that would have put us 1-0 up, 2-1 really? on aggregate or whatever. Yeah. And then Parker... He scored almost immediately afterwards, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. So it's devastating. But you know, I mean, listen, we'd, we'd come a long way. We, we, if you're going to go, it's always tough going out in the semi-final. You know, I mean, if you get to the final, you think, well, yeah, listen, we've made it. But in the semi-final, it was always tough. But I think in that year, it was we we sort of like we'd done excellent to get to there and to the teams we've we, we've beaten along the way and the performance we put in again and said, listen, we've gone up another notch now. Yeah. So we're up at another level now. We can we can compete with better sides than we've ever done before and and yeah. roll on roll on the following season. Yeah, 46 appearances, again, ever present in the league, eight goals. So again, making a good Steady contribution mate. from uh, making a good contribution from midfield. So now we come to 89-90, which I have to say, just looking back, doing some research on this, it probably was, can't believe it's over 30 years ago now, but it was probably one of the best seasons of watching City, right? And I'm just going to run through some of the players and get your comments on them. I mean, in goal by then was uh, Ronnie Sinclair, not such a big man as uh, as uh, Keith Woff, but uh, good goalkeeper nonetheless, yeah? Goalkeeper, yeah, Ronnie come in, quiet man off the pitch as well, but really, really, really good keeper. And and, and as defenders and, and midfielders and whatever, like you always got to have a have a good goalkeeper. I mean, and that was one of the things we had over the years at Bristol. Times I played in, we had very good goalkeepers, and Ronnie was certainly one of them. And then Andy Llewellyn, uh, one side on the fullback, local lad, little yeah. character in his own way, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, great. I mean, Louis sort of like missed out on one of the. So like the first Wembley one, you know what I mean? Like, because I played right back and Louis was a right back, to be fair. So he, he was sort of like a bit unlucky to miss that one, but he played the following year. But but Louis, listen, I mean, every time I go down now, like we have our gonna are gonna cuddle, yeah. You know I mean, like great lad Louis, yeah. You know I mean he 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 sort of like he was the one that was closer to Hutchie when he went out and whatever, like, I think because it was small, but listen, for their size, they could they could drink a bit. They could get so, underneath, they could probably yeah, definitely. Listen, Louis, Louis was a was a was a was a tough nut. 
tough nut. And like you yeah. say, he just it was it was his dream to play for for his for his home club and whatever like. And he and 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 he played with his heart on his sleeve every single week and whatever like. And that's one thing you say for Louis. He yeah. he gave hundred percent for Bristol. John, talk about characters, John Bailey. I mean, in the <laughs> twilight of his career, ex-Evertonian, you know, a character. Yeah. He, he lodged with me for he lodged with me for six months, and you are talking. You're talking. You are talking. Someone that does like a a, a beer every now and again, whatever. Like, and, and I and I witnessed that firsthand with him living living in my house for like six months. But I'm telling you, there isn't a, a better left back that I played with throughout my career. In terms of, I can remember against Notts Forest, he was up against Franz Carr, and Franz Carr was electric in those days. And Franz, over both games, Franz Carr never got a kick. He never got yeah. a kick. That is that is how good John Bailey was. Yeah. But you talk about Hachi being a joker. This 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 boy was the king of the jokers. He was unbelievable. So again, like someone who played in Everton's like great team, like uh, of uh, of that era, brought knowledge, experience, yeah. humour, everything to the team. Now I'm looking at the shape of the side back then. I'm <coughs> guessing you were in because you shuttle between defence and midfield. But I'm guessing you partnered another player in the centre. Am I right in thinking for most of that season it was Glyn Humphreys, known as Psycho? Yeah, he was a he could clatter, couldn't he? Psycho is he, he is psycho and apparently still is psycho. No, I've not seen him a few for a few years, but a, a good close friend is is in touch with him and, he, and we've always sort of like before COVID we were we were hoping to get sort of like a, a reunion um down Bristol, so hopefully that might happen soon now. But listen, Humps was was boy. If you wanted, if you went to war, you take him with you. You take him with you. It was it was, it was incredible. He was, I mean, again, not the best technically and whatever. But would you ever have him on your side and against you? Definitely with you. Absolutely, not the most culture, but hundred and ten percent player if there is such a thing. Now midfield, again, a bit of quality in there. I mean, people talk without doubt, Jerry Gow the best midfield player for Bristol City in the last 60 years. But one player who would come in my top three most definitely is Gary Shelton. I think he got into double figures with goal scoring that season. What are your memories of Shelts? Shelts, sorry, again, like very, very introvert and whatever, but quite funny with it. I mean, he was, he, he was a dry sense of humour, but listen, another good player. Left footer, I believe. You know what I mean? Like great arriving late into the box, scoring goals and whatever. Like and those numbers were were pretty good in those days and whatever. But but like you say, gave us experience in the middle of the field. Knew when to slow the game down. Knew when to quick it up, quicken it up as well. So listen, I mean, all the, all these all these guys played a, a part in my career and whatever. Like because they all had their own qualities. Yeah, you talked about Mark Gavin. Dave yeah. Rennie, another one, not to yeah. be confused with the current physio at uh, Bristol yeah. City. But up front, it was for most of the season. Um, well, another one up front, Dave Smith on the wing. Yeah. You know, yeah. he had a bit of pace about it's him. Crazy, but up yeah. front for most of the season, it was Robbie Turner yeah. and Bob Taylor. Uh, Bob Taylor, 34 goals. But uh, smash and grab, um, they were. What are your recollections of Robbie? Again, he was a bit of a character off the field as well, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was a, he was more of a fighter. He was more of a fighter off the, on the pitch and off the pitch as well, to be fair. But listen, if I was a centre-half playing against him, I would have hated it because he was, again, lacking a bit in technical. And, I, and I, I don't think he would mind me saying this. What he lacked in technical ability, he made up in aggression and, and physical nest and whatever. Like, and, he, and he really was the perfect foil for, for, for Bob. Uh, for Bob Taylor because um, I mean that's what he needed like I say Bob Bob wasn't like soft by any means but Robbie was the real 
aggressive one that we needed up front, both when we were offensive and he was also an asset in, in defending as well when we had the defence set pieces. But like I say, Rob Robbie came in and done his done his job to the best of his ability and was more was more sort of like that. He, I mean, he was rewarded for a top season and and Bob probably got all the plaudits for being yeah. a goal scorer, but Robbie well, if, did not. Yeah, if Bob hadn't got injured with about six games to go, then we wouldn't uh-huh. have suffered the ignominy of losing uh-huh. the championship to uh-huh. uh, a team that won't be uh, mentioned. But Bob still got thirty-four goals. Um, again, you were an ever-present nine goals. I mean, you know, you're ranking up the appearances, banging in the goals, you know, from midfield, which is really good. A match to remember that season, and it was one when Robbie Turner came into his own, really, uh, with the the Chelsea game in uh, what was it third or fourth round of the cup? I bet you remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I say, you, see, all these games like them, they resonate and whatever. Like, and every time, every time we did play someone like a Chelsea and they came to Aston Gate, it was it was fantastic because it had been so long since those teams had been there. So to come in sort of like Aria and you're actually playing on the same pitch as some of those players was was, was fantastic for not only for me but for the rest of the team. But to actually beat them was, I mean, it's a dream come true because that's probably, you know, I mean, all the ones that we 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 sort of like achieved over the years when, when we were playing that was the first time that we real really beat a top top side and I think that gave us that gave us the uh, ambition to go on and the drive to go on in future games yeah and then uh, as I say so credible got promoted uh, and that's all that mattered really we beat Walsall on the last day of the season as I say some of the gloss taken away because a certain yeah. team had uh, yeah. done yeah. it but here we were Back in what is now the championship, I think it was called League One back, it was Division One back in those, I don't know. But uh, here we were, start of the season, everything to look forward to. You were in, must have been about season number 10 uh, yeah. for you, 1991 season. I think the critical point of that season was Joe leaving. I remember we just lost at West Brom. And all the talk was that he didn't come back with the team. I think that wouldn't have happened anyway, but he'd gone. And Jimmy was put in charge. And despite Joe leaving that first season back in what is yeah. the championship, championship, only two points off the playoffs and finished ninth. That was a tremendous, tremendous effort, wasn't it? To, yeah. to finish like that, yeah? yeah. And I think if you'd have said we'd have finished ninth at the start of the season, you'd have, you'd have taken it because you'd have seen that, that was improvement. But like I say, the fact that Joe left, Joe left to go to Hearts, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's left right. to go to Hearts and... and it, it, it was a tough one, but like I said, being a Scotsman, Hearts was was seen as a, as a as a top job, and you couldn't really blame him for for wanting to go that next step on the, on the managerial ladder. But it, it it was tough to take because, like I say, he he had so many qualities off the pitch, and he knew which buttons to press for each player really. And and like I say, what he gave us was was fantastic. So to lose him, but Jimmy came in, and and like I say, Jimmy knew he was inheriting a squad, and he tried to carry on. What you mean? What Joe had, um, what Joe had started, and whatever like, and, and he did an admirable job. But he, Jimmy wasn't Jimmy wasn't Joe. Jimmy was Joe's sort of like along like assistant manager, and Jimmy did yeah. a great job like that because Jimmy was was fantastic at that player to management connection. Basically, without the manager getting involved, Jimmy was that, and he did it better than anyone I've ever ever known. So, uh, so like yeah. I've I've got a lot to, to to thank Jimmy for, and and ultimately Jimmy was the one that sold me. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's absolutely right because again, that season 1991, another ever-present season, another decent hole in front of goal, eight goals. But that summer, it marked the end of your Bristol City career. Uh, Norwich came knocking. Were they 
the only club that came for you? And was it a hard decision to leave or the fact that they were in the top flight? And I think you were 27 at the time. You're thinking, yep, I've got to go. It's now or never. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wouldn't say I'd, I've got to go. I didn't want to go. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I wanted. I, did, I didn't say I wanted to go. Um, I think if someone would have come and said to me, listen, we want you to stay. I was captain of the club then. Um, and we were one league away from what was the the old first division, which is the prem, which is the Premiership now. If you had said to me, "Listen, you stay here and go into the and finish your career here, playing playing like the second division and go up to the first division, which is the Premiership now," I would have said, "I'm staying." I would have said, "I'm staying." No one really said like, um, "You have to stay," which was fantastic because they they they. Did they make it easy for me to go? I'm not saying they made it easy for me to go. They didn't challenge my decision. They didn't challenge my decision yeah. like when I wanted to go and whatever like it. And I'll ever be forever grateful for them because they could have. I had two years of my contract left, so they could have yeah. dug my heels in. Um, they yeah, admittedly they were getting six hundred thousand pounds from me, which is probably decent money. Decent money, twenty odd those years days ago. Yeah. For for someone they'd signed from school, um, and like I say, maybe the time was right, but. Did I want to go? I would say no. You know what I mean? Was I happy that I left? You know what I mean? Again, I wasn't happy that I left. I was happy that I had the opportunity to go to a side that was already in the top division. And I think that was, and I was going to a side probably that was a similar size to Bristol then. Yeah. You know what I mean? They had a similar following. They didn't have no sort of like standout players, but they were a good team. And the fact is that they had come in for me. I think it was an opportunity that if I stayed at Bristol, yeah, we might have got promoted the, the year after. But it was a it was an instant, like it was an instant sort of like me going to a club that I would I would start in the in the top division of England. So yeah. it was an opportunity that I couldn't really turn down. Was I happy? Did I want to go? I, I would I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I was. No, you'd have stayed if somebody had said yeah. we're going to top your contract up or or what have you. It, then not even that. Maybe. Not even that, Dave. You know what I mean? Like because you probably I was. I mean, people knew me. No, I mean, they, like, well, I wasn't money orientated. I mean, yeah, I was. He was getting bit like a bit more every year. But I think it was just the I'd been there from the beginning. And when I say the beginning, it was like 1982. I'd been there from the beginning, and and everything had been sort of like like you say, it's like steps up, and it was a progression. And would I would I have wanted to be the man the the, the captain to lead Bristol City back into the first division? One hundred percent. I would yeah. I would have loved to do that. But the opportunity to play if it was another championship club, I probably wouldn't have gone. The fact is it was it was it was a club like Norwich and they and they wanted me. Um I think that, that made was, a lot. That yeah. was a deciding fact. It was it was an instant way to go into the top league. Yeah, and uh, an unfashionable manager there not one of the big names i mean mick was it mike mike walker was he the oh, manager dave stringer. That you? dave stringer bought me dave stringer bought me dave yeah. stringer and uh williams dave williams who an ex ex rover like, yeah 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 he was the coach but dave dave stringer actually bought me um and mike walker took over him over after a couple of years after i would arrive but dave was dave was like a good old-fashioned manager yeah, I mean, I've got a lot to thank him for because he was the one that made the decision to buy me. Um, yeah. So I've got a lot to thank him for. And then obviously Mike came in and that's where we had uh, some success. Well, you did. I mean, you had, I mean, looking at your track record there with Norwich City, I mean, you had you had some great times at Bristol City, yeah. some great times. 
But you had some good times at Norwich, didn't you? I mean, 91, 92, your first season, FA Cup semi-final. 92, 93, third in what is now the Prem. 93, 94, beat Bayern Munich in, what was it, the UEFA Cup? I mean, what... What 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 do you what are your memories from your time at Norwich and some of the really good players that you played against or played with? Uh, yeah, start start with um, sort of like the, the FA Cup semi final against Sunderland. Um, mixed emotions, really, Dave. On this, like I like say, we played the semi final at Hillsborough. Um, we were in the first division. Sunderland were fourth from bottom in, in the division below. So the expectation on on us to win was was like 90 to 10. So to go there and actually lose um, was a, was the biggest disappointment probably because the FA Cup, okay, the Freight Rover final was great. The FA Cup final was worldwide known. So to actually have been able to have played in a, an FA Cup final would have been fantastic, but it wasn't to be. And because it wasn't to be, when the final was in that year, I went down to... Um, uh, Butlins, uh, Breen Sands, upon it, that had a good relationship with the club, and I met my future wife there. So it's like there's mixed emotions. If, if we'd have got to Wembley, I would have never been married to this girl. <laughs> Every cloud has a silver lining. Every line. cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. So 92-93, though. Yeah. I mean, goodness me, Norwich City—they almost did a a Leicester, didn't they, back then? Because it was eventually Liverpool and Villa were number one and number two. Man United, Man United. Right in it. Oh, Man United and Villa, was it? Man United and Villa, one and two. But you were in it, and it was just the second half of the season when it fell away a bit, if I'm right. We, we, uh, we were 10 points clear. We were 10 points clear at Christmas. Before, our, Chris, before our Christmas party, we were 10 points clear. After our Christmas party, we went on a downward slope. We went on a downward slope, and we didn't do great in the second half of the season. But like I say, Man United and Aston Villa, those two were, the, were two of the top teams. So to slug it out with them in the end, yeah, I mean, was a great achievement. And, and like you say, Leicester defied all the odds a few years ago. But I think we defied all the odds then to, to come third in the Premiership was 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 incredible. And and like I say, to qualify for the Europa, or the UEFA Cup in those days as it was in the fashion that we did was was incredible because. Only the top two got into the Champions League or the UEFA Cup. And the third, because Arsenal played Sheffield Wednesday in both the League Cup and the FA Cup. That's it. They beat them both in both games. We, The actual third choice club in the Premiership became the third choice to go in the UEFA Cup. And the guy that scored the winning goal for Arsenal in, the, in, the, in one of the games was uh, Townsend, who used to, Andy Townsend, who used to play for... No, Linigan, Andy Linigan, who played for Norwich. So he was sort of like an ex-Canary, making sure we uh, we got into the UEFA Cup. So oh, it, that was good. It, it was a that great was... achievement. Yeah, I mean, to finish third in the Premier League, yeah, I mean, over the, over the course of the season and whatever like, and I remember going there. And, I mean, the the, the, the fan, the, the the game, the teams you were playing at, the stadiums you were playing at, was was. I mean, I listen. I was I was queuing up. Like when you lined up to go out on the pitch at Old Trafford and you could like like a yard away from you is like Brian Robson's and your Inces yeah. and like your uh, Dennis Irwin's, your Pallisters, your Bruce's and all that, your Mark Hughes, Brian McClellan. Listen, I walked on the pitch and I'm saying, listen, I don't really care what the score is. I'm playing, <laughs> I'm playing in front of 70,000 people. These people are, are legends. But it's like the same thing. As soon as you line up and that referee blows your whistle, it becomes a football match. So listen, it was it was a great experience and a great achievement to uh, to finish third. Who was your toughest opponent in that season that you, you that played against you? I've always I've always said the t- toughest three players I've played in my Premiership years are Mark Hughes, 
Um, Duncan Ferguson. And Duncan Ferguson, like the, the, the coach now, incredible, incredible players, tough. Um, you know what I mean? Would take a knock, but you know you'd be getting one back, basically. But I would say then Brian Robson, you know what I mean? Unbelievable presence in the middle of the field and whatever. So, yeah, I mean, Tony Adams, Tony Adams and, and Steve Bold, centre-outs, Ian Wright, John Barnes. You know what I mean? Like, see, yeah. some of the names that Eric Cantona, Eric Cantona was the first probably the first and most famous international to come across, played against him. Like Jürgen, Jürgen Klinsmann for, for Tottenham. Looked yeah. such a small player, but so strong. So um, and, and, and Gary Lineker's Alan Shearer played all, all against them. And you think, wow. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I was an 18-year-old, whatever, playing against Fulham. I know, I know. It must have been. It must have been. Well, it's the pinnacle, isn't it? Yeah. You know, considering yeah. from Bradford on Avon to... Old Trafford and beyond, but 93-94, you know, you didn't win it, but you had uh, a famous win against uh, against the yeah. Germans at Bayern Munich, yeah? You must remember that game. With, yeah, uh, absolutely. It, it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, a little story that we tell as well, like to be fair, we, could, we, we trained on the pitch the night before in the, in the kit man, and the kit man was laying out all the kit from the, for, the previous, for the next night's game and whatever, like, and we went in there. And and Chris Sutton, it was Chris Sutton who was there. Like he always, he was always a bit of a practical joker. So like, so he started, he started sort of like where it was all nicely laid out. Kit, he started throwing the shirts on the floor and whatever. Like, and the kit man's actually lost it. He I mean, he's lost, and he started fighting with his, <laughs> the night before because he's like he'd ruined all his nice nice changes. <laughs> but like little anecdotes like that. But listen, to go to to go to to Bayern Munich and play in that team. And against the team we were playing as World Cup winners, Lothar Mateus. And all. So we're on the same pitch as them. And, and Gossi's infamous goal and, and Mark Bowen's goal as well. I mean, it was it was it was an incredible achievement. And and that was in the day when you could celebrate in the hotel. And trust me, we never went to bed before five o'clock that morning. <laughs> Bear in mind, we didn't we didn't even worry about the next game. We had to play them a week later. But listen, yeah. that was an achievement that's never been achieved since. No English team has ever won in the in the, the Olympic Stadium. So Little old Norwich are the only English team to win a competitive yeah. game. Another feather, game. another feather in your cap, most definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Most definitely. You mentioned Chris Sutton, who were a couple of other players that you've uh, from your time there you still kept in touch with, you know, that were good yeah, no, teammates. Norfolk, Norfolk, Norwich and Norfolk is a place where players play and they retire. So there's still quite a few living around this area and like and they pop up now every now and again. And like you say, not not so long, a couple of years ago we had a like a reunion game against um, Inter Milan at, at Carra Road, and twenty thousand people was at their game. It was, and and the, the team that started that night, nine of us started on that on the on the day like twenty or twenty five years ago. So listen, it was great to see them all. Yeah, I mean Gossi, Jeremy Gossi up here. I'm really good friends with Gossi. Uh, Darren Eady's up here. You've got um, sort of like uh, Foxy lives down the road. Sutty, Chris Sutton lives here as well. So. Listen, there's there's still a lot of us that, that, that live around here, and it's, it's a great part of the world. And when we when we catch up, we have great we have great talks and sure over do. a couple of beers and bring up some memories. I'm sure you do. Well, 200 plus appearances for them, and then uh, it was Bruce Rioch who uh, came in as manager. He released you. You went on to uh, Southend uh, yeah. for a few, well, a decent number of games there. Dabbled a little bit in management and coaching, yeah. then uh, spent some coaching time at, uh, at Bournemouth. Uh, if I check my records, but then you got into the recruitment side, and you know, uh, well, Man City. Tell us how you came to join Man City. Was it was it 
Pep put the call in or were you there already? How, how did that move come to Man City? And tell us about that. It came about uh, September, September 2008. I was assistant manager to Kevin Bond with Eddie. Me and Eddie Al were assistant managers to Kevin Bond. Uh, we all got the sack. Um, Eddie got later got reinstated, but me and Kevin left in September 2008. And that July, uh, previous July uh, 2008, was the year that Mansoor took over uh, Man City. So it was their start of their real revolution. So, And the manager was Mark Hughes. Whose assistant manager was Mark Bowen, who I played yeah. with. I played with at Norwich, and he called me after I got sacked and whatever. And I said, "Listen, we're building. A, we're starting a, a scouting and recruitment team. Do you want to come up? You know, what I mean, this guy is is the real deal. He wants to have the best team, the best stadium, the best scouting and recruitment department, best commercial. So, do you want to come up and do it?" And I said, "Listen, give me two seconds to think about <laughs> it." So, uh, so yeah, so and that was it, two thousand and eight. And I stayed there for the next 13 years. And so, like, we, at the stage, they were a mid-table side and they wanted to get to a top six. And then they started to win the leagues. And obviously, the pinnacle, we always said, listen, the pinnacle is to uh, win the Champions League. But, yeah, I mean, I got to the Champions League, but I never managed to win it before I left. Yeah. Um, but you had, I mean, the players that you're watching there, I mean, it's it's a different league again, isn't it? I mean, were you coordinating people that were watching these games were you looking at lots of videos because they're high level players their reputations almost go before them were you physically no. going just yeah. what, what, do, what does recruitment involve in in a club like man city i guess any high level football they never had nothing trust believe it or not they never had nothing when we when i first went in there they saw like a very little very few scouts very very uh little information on players that perspective signings and whatever like so it was a start of something um, that needed to be put in place, and we had a small, we had a small team, scouting team of, of five scouts. We said that we want to concentrate on the five European leagues, the big European leagues. Uh, that's Premier League, Spanish, uh, Italy, France, and Germany. Uh, one, one, one scout would take responsibility for each for each league, and you would go out to those countries and say, "Listen, we're we're employees of Manchester City now." Um, We've been agent-led previous. Any any information you want, we would we were sort of like the the travellers from Man City going out to these countries to say, listen, we've started a new new thing now. We want to do things right, and that's when the sort of like the players come. It was our responsibility, my responsibility. I went to Spain. That was my that was my country. So I had to go out to Spain, and and any information that the manager or the the like the sport director wanted to to know, and it was to do with Spain. I was the go-to person, and. I couldn't really say because that was my only responsibility. I couldn't really say I don't know him or I don't. If a, say a, a 16-year-old would make his debut for Athletic Bilbao, I get a phone call on a Monday and say, what do you know about him? I can say, oh, I don't know nothing about him because that was my job and we knew that was our job. So it started, it took two or three years to get things in place. But I've left now, uh, well, I left last summer. And I think where they are now to where they were in that first... Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 proud to say that I was involved in a in a lot of the shaping of the of the scouting and recruitment department. Yeah, what would you say is your biggest coup at Man City? If you think, well, David uh, Silva, David Silva. Yeah, I mean, like David Silva. You I mean I didn't have a lot to do with Sergio Aguero, but David Silva was the one that he was playing for Valencia. Um, never met the player, but it was a case of me meeting the agent, and we were at a time where the club had not 
won any trophies. It was before we won any trophies. And David Silva was at Valencia. Madrid wanted him. Barcelona wanted him. And Man City wanted him. So we were coming up against two top, top teams. So it was a case of like, how do we persuade David through his agent to come? Yeah, he's going to earn quite a bit of money. Probably as much as he would have done at Barca and Madrid. Mm. But what we did and what I tried to do with the with the agent was try and sell him the fact that David could be part of the club's history. Yeah, I mean, come over here, be a be a top player, and yeah. help us win win titles, win cups, and whatever. Like, and that's exactly what he's done. And and, the, and that period of time where, yeah, I mean, you call it schmoozing the agents, basically, but it was it was it was a genuine sort of like conversations that we had, and 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 I'd like to think that those conversations I had made him feel that. <laughs> excuse me, that the player had a real future and he could come and be part of the history. And and and, and funny enough, from that meetings or those all those meetings with the agents, we've, we've remained friends and, and all the family, all our families are friends as well. So it's quite nice that I've gone on and, and, and kept in touch with them as well. But the fact is that David Silver came and did unbelievably well in, yeah. in, in English football was 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 in my mind, a nice little achievement for me. Oh, no, that's that's really good. And I guess during that time at Man City, you must have felt a little bit of split loyalty because it was just over uh, four years ago. But uh, Bristol City turned up uh, to the Emirates and uh, give them a half-decent game in uh, well, in both legs of the semi. How did how did you feel on that day, watching that game? Listen, it, quietly, probably I wanted Man Bristol City to win, but professionally, yeah. I probably had to, had to go down. So, um, yeah, no, listen, it was great. and and But I think from that game, they, they should have just gone on and, and be, because it was such a great statement and how well they played. And, and, you know what I mean? It was a proper game against proper team. Bristol Man City never rested anyone. It was a proper team. So for Bristol to come and play the way they did in both games, you think we'll use it as a springboard to go on and whatever. Like, but for whatever reason, you know, I don't want to go into anything else. You know what I mean? But I'm just thinking those two games against Man City, use it as a as a springboard because, like I, I say, you have just you have just competed more than competed with the best in Europe, basically. So it was like I say there were split loyalties really. But like I say, whenever Bristol City play, I went to watch them last week against Luton. I always want Bristol City to win. Surprise, surprise. I was going to say which result do you look for first? So October last year. Um, David came knocking. I mean, sometimes people leave a company to go to work for one where there's a challenge or you go to work for somebody you know. Did you feel that you'd done all you could at Man City? What was the rationale for that move other than uh, David? Uh, yeah, no, like, like I said, like I said, I started, I started at the beginning of the journey for Man City and I, that, us getting to the Champions League, I felt was the end of it because like yeah. it was, I actually, David actually spoke to me a couple of weeks before and said, did I fancy it and whatever? And come up and head it, come up and, and shape it, come up and, and sort of like do what you do, do best as well. And like you say, David was the reason that I left Man City. You don't leave Man City to go anywhere. It was, And I didn't, again, I didn't want to leave Man City. It was just an opportunity that I felt sort of like was would never come round again. So, yeah, I mean, I'm in there now and, and probably like over the last two weeks of this transfer window, um, I promise I want to go back to where it was where it was quite easy because you just have to worry about your own like responsibilities. But listen, I'm, I'm loving it. Um, sort of like there's there's hurdles that you have to overcome. But listen, if you wanna if you wanna be successful, you have to overcome those hurdles and 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 break down these barriers and whatever like. But I mean, how well David's doing is 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 incredible. Like I said, yeah, he's done he's doing, done exceptionally well. And you're fishing, I guess, in a different pond. Absolutely. to Man City purely from a, a budget yeah. point of view which yeah. makes the job more interesting yeah. and 
probably a bit more testing, yeah? Absolutely. And, and like I say, I mean, we've we've got someone who's come in and, and invested some money in as well. So that, that brings problems with itself because sometimes it's easier to go and get players if you've got no money. But as soon as players know you've got a little bit of money, they, they want a lot of money. So, uh, so yeah, so it's an, it's an opportunity for me. I still feel as though I'm, I'm young enough just to show the passion and, and the desire. And, and like the manager, hopefully the manager is going to be there for many, many years um, yeah. to come. And he will leave a legacy, but hopefully alongside him, I'll leave, I'll leave a legacy um, that the scouting and recruitment department at West Ham is good. And, and I'm, I was the one that started that process. So that's what I'm hoping to do. It's going to take time to do it, but I will give it my all like I do if I was on the pitch. I always give it my all. In. And if at the end of it, it's successful, brilliant. If it's not, if it's not, say la vie, say la vie. It's not for the one to try and. Now, talking about players on the radar, not giving anything away, but you just said you were at Luton, and I'm going to say in a capacity as a supporter of Bristol City, but, you know, there's three young men in the Bristol City side at the moment that are, I mean, I do think we've turned the corner, yeah, and I'm usually a cup-half-empty person, but uh, Antoine Semenyo, Alex Scott, Hanoa Masengo, you know, I would have thought players like that based on current performances, particularly Antoine scoring two cracking goals at Fulham. Yeah, it's all visible these days on various media. Uh, but, you know, players like that, they're going to be on your radar, aren't they? I would have thought. Very, very, very impressed. Very impressed with them. Um, and I, I spoke to Richard Gould at halftime and I said, do ex-players get any discount? And he said, no. <laughs> No, listen, it's fantastic and, it, and it's testament to Brian Tinian as well, who's, who's doing the academy as well. And and listen, I love it. I love it when players are being talked about and they're coming from Bristol. Apparently he's a Guernsey lad, Alex Scott, as well, isn't he? And, he is. Yeah, and absolutely. I actually saw when I was in France playing for Monaco's um, under, I think it was about under 17, under 18. So he's a very talented player as well. And I just think seeing him on, um, on against Luton, those two players, Luton, Listen, that's a tough place to go, Luton. And they're both young boys and whatever, but physically they, they stood up to it. And Semenya up front as well. If you've got pace, you've got half a chance. And like I say, he's scoring goals as well. And two very good goals against uh, Fulham as well. So, listen, the future looks rosy. And I'm sure there's many more on the conveyor belt coming after them at, at the, uh, at the, in, the academy, in the academy side. And, and listen, they're in, hopefully they're in a situation now where, like I say, they might not have to sell these boys. So no, if they, that's true. They, they, that's they, true. If they keep them, they've got a chance. But like I say, sometimes if clubs come calling, then, you know I mean, it's in... you got to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's right for them to go. But at the moment, they're learning the trade. They've still got a long way to go. But like I say, they've all got talent, like you've said. And if any of those three have as good a career as you had, Rob, at Bristol City and uh, subsequent to it, then they'll have uh, made the right choice in their lives, won't they? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, mate. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. Rob, it's been really, really, really great talking to you. Um, it's flowed. It's flown by. Huh. Yeah. Um, I know you're down in Bristol for uh, the Ashton Gate yeah. 8 celebrations yeah. in uh, the middle of uh, February. So we see you down there then. Chance to keep an eye on those uh, players. But uh, once again, for myself, thank you for your time. And I'm sure all the listeners of Forever Bristol City podcast are going to really uh, enjoy that. There we go. Right. I've 